I'm going to go ahead and get started. Hello, and uh, welcome to another Miko Pellet hosted webinar. My name is Jamil, and I'll be introducing today's event. The title for today's event is The Palestinian Refugees, Rights, Reality, and Return. I will also be facilitating the Q&A portion after the panel's discussion finishes up. Uh, we're going probably for about an hour today, so 60 minutes discussion, 30 minutes Q&A. Um, and, and today's discussion really is centered on the status and fate of the over 7 million Palestinian refugees who are scattered throughout the world today as a result of Israel's creation in 1948. So this diaspora persists as one of the most politically contested refugee crises of our time. And we are very fortunate today uh, to have uh, two authors of the new book, Palestinian Refugees in International Law uh, by Francesca P. Albanese and Lex Tackenberg. Uh, They're going to share their, their research, their insights while providing a, a comprehensive analysis of the Palestinian refugee question in light of various areas of international law. The uh, third member of our panel today, we're rounded out by, uh, you know, if you've been following Miko, hopefully a, a familiar face, familiar voice. Uh, we had him on our podcast very early on. I encourage everyone to go back and check out that episode. Uh, you can just look for the Miko Pellet podcast. I had to get that plug in. Um, so we have with us Omar Al-Ghubari of Zohrot. Uh, Zohrot is an NGO working towards the reconceptualization of the return. And, and really the goal today is to gain a foundation in understanding the rights of Palestinian refugees um, as protected by international law. We want to examine the role of Israel and the international community within this context. And we want to envision what uh, return could look like. So uh, much thanks to the panel today for being with us. Uh, Francesca is, is all the way in Jakarta. So it's at a, an ungodly hour. So we, we appreciate your uh, your, your uh, diligence and, and commitment to the cause. Um, of course, author and activist Miko Pellet is, is today's host. And um, I wanna thank the audience as well for joining us for this live, uh, very important discussion. We are live streaming this to Miko's Facebook page. So just go to facebook.com slash Miko Pellet official. Uh, if you'd like to watch us on Facebook or share it with, with, your, with your audience, we do encourage, even if you're watching this live on Zoom to go ahead and share that on Facebook so that other people can, can uh, get in on it. Um, and uh, we will begin the audience Q&A after the discussion wraps up. So hopefully about 60 minutes. So use that Q&A button at the bottom to get your question in. We'll try to get through as many as we can. The, the last thing I wanna mention is I want to plug uh, Omar's group, uh, Zohrot has a uh, fundraiser that they just launched. Um, the, the campaign is called 48 Hours to Acknowledge the to, uh, for the acknowledgement of the Nakba of 1948. So they are aiming to raise $100,000 by Tuesday, November 24th. Um, this will allow Zohrat to expand their activities, uh, to be more independent and to promote the recognition of the Nakba and right to return within Israeli society. Um, so that, that campaign is live now. Um, and we would, we would love everyone's help in either donating or maybe sharing it with, with your uh, networks. Um, the, uh, you can actually find out more about this campaign and donate directly by going to isupportzohrot.org and, and I'll spell that out for you. It's Z-O-C-H-R-O-T. I'm also gonna put this link in the chat 
and it will also be in uh, the post email for this event coming up. So, so um, we'd appreciate any any support you can give to uh, uh, the fantastic Sofrat. And I think that's going to do it for me. So um, I'm going to pass the reins over to Miko. Thank you, Jamil. And hi, everybody, all the participants and uh, Lex, Francesca, and uh, Omar, thank you so much for your valuable time and your knowledge. Um, <clears throat> and so the, um, the topic of the refugees is one that is, on the one hand, central to the Palestinian issue and um, central to any, any envisioned solution to the Palestinian issue. And at the same time, something that's been kind of pushed to the background um, and, um, and dealt with as though it's, it's something that we shouldn't really expect will ever happen. It's, uh, it's like a bridge too far. It's always being pushed off to the back. And so it's got this very, very strange dynamic. And um, there's a quote um, that, um, that I wanna find here real quick by Folke Bernadotte, who, who was the, who was the, um, um, the uh, he was central, mediator. I'm sorry, the mediator, yeah, the, the, the mediator that was, that was sent to Palestine and then consequently assassinated by Zionist terrorists. And he said that the, uh, he, you know, he's, and this is in, in, in your book, he said, no settlement can be just and complete if recognition is not accorded to the right of the refugees to return. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, that a lot of people feel, but then again, it's been pushed to the background. And then uh, your book, uh, Lex and uh, Francesca, the, the, the legal aspects of, of, of the Palestinian issue um, or Palestinian, uh, the Palestinian uh, refugees in international law, um, I found it to be just a, a, a remarkable resource in uh, realizing just how strong the case of the Palestinian refugees really are in terms of international law and, um, and how uh, the responsibility of the state of Israel uh, is to this issue. And that not only did the passing of time not weaken the case, but it has in fact become stronger. Um, and there are many, many facets of this issue that your book uh, reveals, which I think people are going to find fascinating and, 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 and extremely important to, to, uh, to this issue. And so I wanted to bring that up, this issue, you know, the, the strength of the legal case, and at the same time, talk about what, how we envision or how the return can be envisioned. And, um, and Omar with the Zohrot and, and, the, and the sense of, uh, or, or the, the, the project of envisioning the return and what it's going to look like. So that's why I, you know, got all of you here together to really discuss these, both of these issues, because I think they're extremely important. And I think they are, one leads to the other naturally. If there is a strong legal case, then naturally we need to start envisioning it and start working on it or else it's going to remain kind of an academic issue and push to the background. And I wanna start with a quote from the book, which again, I found to be uh, um, extremely enlightening. And the quote is that there needs to be a fundamental change in the way Palestinian refugees are seen, no longer as victims, but as people with rights who are entitled to shape their own destiny. 
And um, I thought we'd go around and perhaps Lex start with you since you wrote the book initially, the, the first edition. And if you can talk about that and uh, how it, you know, and, and, and it will, how it connects to your, to, to your work in general and, and to the book. Thank you very much, Miko, and, and uh, thank you uh, to both you and, and, uh, and Jamal for the opportunity. And thank you also, Miko, for your for your review of the of the book. I think you were the first to uh, to, uh, to uh, at least the first that we are aware of that uh, that uh, that did a review. So thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, let me let me perhaps start indeed by uh, you know how I came to write the book uh, over twenty years ago in the in the first place. Uh, 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 I had worked as a young uh, uh, legal officer for the Dutch Refugee Council for a number of years before coming to the Middle East. Uh, and in that role, I was organizing uh, frequent uh, meetings for lawyers, attorneys on, on issues of refugee law and asylum. Uh, and from time to time, questions came up on Palestinian refugees and there was sort of, you know, uh, a blank. Nobody knew what to sort of say, look for literature. There was very little. Uh, fast forward, I, uh, I joined UNRWA in early 1989 to work in during the first in response, in a program in response to the first Antifada. Uh, uh, first sort of endeavor of UNRWA to start trying to do some, some protection in the face of, of sort of the uh, the violence that erupted between Palestinians and Israelis from from uh, from late 1987 onwards, uh, and and after a year I was asked to sort of contribute a, an article uh, for the journal Journal of Refugee Law, uh, uh, reflecting on unrest protection experience. And when I was sort of researching that article, I realized there were whole libraries written about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, including legal studies, but at the time nothing about the uh, question of the, of the Palestinian refugees. And I thought, you know, this was a, a lacuna and, and I thought it was a, uh, a great, great subject also for a PhD. And I was working at a time in Gaza. I spent most of the 90s in, in Gaza and, 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 you know, had, uh, as, as a result, had, had quite some time in the evenings to, uh, to, uh, to work on this project. And, and that's, uh, that's how, it, uh, how it came about. And, and indeed, I, I realized how, uh, you know, the, 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 the rights of the, of the Palestinian refugees, uh, and especially also their specific rights of return, restitution, compensation, you know, were, were, were ill understood. Uh, uh, I also realized when working on the second edition that I had not fully understood them at the time. And, uh, and I remember very well that, uh, that uh, I got some sort of quite critical reviews, uh, including from Norman Finkelstein saying, you know, you got the right of return all wrong. Uh, and, and I did, and, and we have fixed it in the, uh, in the new edition. So, so yes, it was uh, it was a, a journey to realize uh, how uh, how actually strong the uh, the rights of the refugees are, and and uh, and uh, uh, how 
at the same time in the whole political discourse, as you as you quite rightly said, you know, on the one hand, the centrality of the, re the refugee issue is, is at the heart of the unresolved conflict. On the other hand, pushed to the background, uh, uh, sought as an afterthought in, in, in all the political discussions. And, and that uh, that is, I, I believe, you know, the, one of the largest shortcomings uh, of the of the Oslo process that from the UN, which you know was responsible for the question of Palestine, including since 48, 49, the refugee issue. You know, it went through through the first Camp David ones to a, to a regional approach, to a bilateral approach, where as a result of the asymmetry of power, you know, no progress whatsoever was uh, was uh, was booked and. And one of the key things that we are, one of the key points that we're making in the book is that it needs to get back into the center of the UN uh, and uh, uh, guided by international law as international law guides, solutions, protection, uh, and other responses for all other refugees the world over. All we argue for is that this is the same for the Palestinian refugee question as the starters, for starters. And Francesca, can you talk about this as well? Thank you, Lex, uh, about this um, this need for the fundamental change in the way the refugees are seen. Yeah, let me let me start with two um, two anecdotes, uh, which are also, I mean, connected to what motivated me to work uh, with Lex on a new edition of the Palestinian refugee situation. One is that. When I, um, I, I spent a few years with UNRWA, as you know, uh, within my decade with the United Nations. And then I could, um, I, I could witness personally, not only the, the, the discrimination that Palestinians were often exposed to um, because of their legal status and the confusion around it, and uh, the, the poor knowledge of the Palestinian refugee situation uh, across the border. I mean, it was something that, I mean, I'm not talking necessarily of something in UNRWA, but in my, uh, in my interaction uh, through UNRWA uh, with people, with other lawyers, with people working in the international human rights system. I mean, this thing of hearing over and over, yeah, but Palestinian refugees are not real refugees or Palestinian refugees are not covered by the 1951 convention. I mean, triggered triggered something in me saying how come that people just don't get it and at the same time i realized that although compared to when um when let's started writing uh this uh, this book uh, 22 years ago his first edition 22 years ago now there is much more knowledge uh, um, about i mean legal knowledge not knowledge about the palestinian refugee question because i think that has always existed it's just about the, the legal studies dealing with the palestinian refugee question the there is still a fragmentation in approaching this issue. And in the sense that the research, the existing research, deals with either Palestinian refugees within the peace process, specific rights, right, like the rights of return, right of compensation. And, um, and then we can debate uh, how our approach to the right of return differs from others. Um, uh, but, or Palestinian refugees in Egypt, Palestinian refugees in Lebanon. 
But what I realized through my own experience is that the Palestinian dispersal has grown much larger and much bigger than and was no longer limited to the Near East, to the Middle East, to the Arab world or to Europe and, and Americas to an extent it had extended and so, so had the frontiers of their exile. And now I speak from Indonesia. There are thousands of, of Palestinians in, in Malaysia, in Thailand, in, in Indonesia. And this is, this is as far as they go to seek protection. So this is the first thing I wanted to share. I had the feeling that something more, that the overall picture was, was missing. And the Oslo process, to comment on what's, what Lex said, has contributed to the fragmentation because in the international community, people tend to associate whatever is Palestinian to the self-determination, unresolved self-determination question, which is very important, but it doesn't exhaust by itself all the claims and all the rights that Palestinian refugees have uh, related to the historical injustice that befell them in 1947 and even more uh, earlier in 1947, 1949 and since then. The second anecdote happened in, um, in Jerusalem. Uh, you, I had already agreed with, uh, with Lex that I would be the co-author of his second edition, and I was invited as an observer to a closed-door seminar about 1948 refugees. And I asked one of the Israeli conveners, why, uh, why had they, I mean, I, I thought it was a brave thing to talk about Palestinian refugees in, in Jerusalem. And he said, well, you know, uh, it's such a, I mean, it's such an, an old topic, it's, but it's good that we talk about that old topic. I, I mean, it's, and this was telling. It was one of these fleeting moments where I, one realizes, okay, this is really needed and I need to do my job here. So I, I really put my, my heart and mind at work over the past four years to provide that overall picture. And this book is enriched with new archival research, building on the, on the research of others, but bringing everything together, trying to really pull all the string, the historical, political, and through the legal lens, try to make sense of all this. So to answer your question, um, it, a paradigm shift is desperately needed because Palestinians, not only, as you say, have become, have been demoted from the political discussion. I mean, it's, they are treated as a nuisance at best, as an obstacle to peace. Why on earth? This, is, this doesn't happen to any other. I mean, there are other protracted refugee situations. In this sense, the Palestinian case is not unique. But why can't we talk about the refugees? Why can't we talk about their rights? And why can't we talk about justice? Because of political issues. And so we wanted to, to, to address these issues and demonstrate a principal approach out, I mean, to get out of the impasse. And also we do think that the United Nations, as Lex said, and not United Nations as UN, United Nations, I mean, the, in, sorry, the international community holds a responsibility vis-a-vis -vis the refugees, not only because it does so vis-a-vis -vis all refugees, eventually, I mean, refugees as a, are, are a sort of a trigger uh, beyond uh, the responsibility of states, because there are people who need who need responsibility or who need protection that they don't get from their state. But also, um, the, 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 I mean, the UN was somewhat responsible to create 
or to participate in the creation of this problem when we shouldn't forget that. And this is also another issue why we wanted to bring the legal lens in. And we also think, third and last point I wanted to make, that um, international law has not been applied to Palestinian refugees, not only vis-a-vis -vis Israel, but everywhere they are. They've experienced a discrimination that is the reflex of politicization, and this uh, reflects the disempowerment that many of them face. And I'm happy to return to this because I think this is crucial to our discussion. Yeah, I agree. I think it's crucial. And I think that's why I like this quote so much. Uh, and I put it up front, you know, to, to start the conversation. And Omar, I wanna, I'm going to read this quote again. I'm going to add something that I took from the from Zohros, from the vision, and ask you to comment on that. So again, there needs to be a fundamental change in the way Palestinian refugees are seen, no longer as victims, but as people with rights who are entitled to shape their own destiny. And it seems to me that that's exactly what you're doing with a vision of return, um, where you talk about, you say, as part of the understanding in the, uh, in the meaning of the feasibility of return, it must be imagined and planned. So I wanted to add that and, and, and um, I'll let you comment on, on both of these aspects, both of these, <coughs> if you will. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, uh, first of all, for uh, organizing this discussion. I think it's very important. And thanks, uh, Lex and Francesca, for your significant book. It's not for granted to have this material and this literature about the right uh, of the Palestinian refugees in the climate, political climate, in the uh, uh, and the, the power relation in the international community, we don't we don't hear the voices that are talking about the rights of the Palestinian refugees almost anymore. Um, so um, I really appreciate uh, uh, this book and this uh, uh, way to expose the. Uh, Palestinian refugees' rights, uh, and it's well connected to our work, as Miko uh, uh, mentioned. Um, and we try in 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 our uh, uh, teaching or learning or exposing the issues of the Palestinian uh, refugees' issues, uh, starting from the disaster of the uh, uh, of 1948, the beginning of the Nakba. Uh, uh, talking about the ongoing Nakba and the, the, the violation of the rights of the Palestinians in general, mainly the Palestinian refugees and preventing their return, and uh, um, uh, to expose the right. And we are very encouraged now to read more uh, authors talking about the, the, the international law that back up actually the right to return because there is a big debate among experts if the Palestinian uh, refugees deserve the, the right uh, to return. And uh, um, uh, the next step that we try to take this issue is not only to talk about the right and to discuss in theory what is uh, uh, the right, uh, but also to, uh, um, uh, to create kind of imagination, kind of planning, kind of uh, designing the future, including the practical return. Which means that in this way, we, we catch 
two barriers. We catch two issues. One of them to maintain and to keep the issue of the right of return and the issue of the refugees, Palestinian refugees on the table, but not only a, a, a kind of a dream or a, a, a goal that no one is a, a, a able to, to achieve. Uh, we want to talk about it as a uh, uh, a practical issue, a practical step and political step based on the information uh, that we know already about the numbers and the rights and the, uh, uh, and the international law uh, uh, support uh, for the right to return. When we uh, checked the, uh, the issue of the, of the return, maybe many of you uh, know already, uh, we, of course, faced the, um, the Israeli taboo uh, um, about talking, even, of course, acknowledging the, uh, the right to return, but even not to talk about it. And uh, uh, on the other side, on the other hand, we faced also the, the, the Palestinian dream and the Palestinian fantasy about the, the, the return. And, uh, um, and when we looked in the international community and even in the Palestinian institutions, we did not find any program or any political action for the implementation of the return. So we said, this is the point that we want to expose uh, uh, and actually to jump uh, upon the Israeli fears and the Israeli taboo and the fantasy of the uh, or the dream of the Palestinians uh, to return to their homeland as they imagine uh, the homeland look like it was in 1948. We found that the return should have a program, uh, a, a, a plan, and uh, uh, based on the research on the ground to, to go and to look and to check what happened on the ground with the Palestinian localities, the Palestinian villages and Palestinian cities and the Palestinian neighborhoods, because the return will be into to different Palestine, to different reality. It's not return to the lost paradise. It's not return to the same village that was in 1948. We should acknowledge that 70 years passed from uh, since the moment that the Palestinians were expelled to the we hope, a few years to the moment that the Palestinians will return. So this gap should be researched and this gap should be uh, a part of the discussion and part of the action plan that should be given uh, uh, for the future, including the right to return. Of course, during the process of studying the practicalities of return, we, uh, uh, by ourselves, learned uh, uh, many uh, new elements that we didn't know and we were not aware about the difficulties and the obstacles uh, uh, on the way of the implementation of return. But of course, we will talk about, about them uh, 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 very, uh, very soon. The other point that uh, we live here in the, uh, in the colonial entity, we live here in the situation of uh, 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 the policy of the state of Israel. Uh, Zohrot is based in Tel Aviv and uh, tries to uh, expose the Nakba and the responsibility of the Israeli uh, society and the Israeli 
and the state of Israel on the on the Nakba and the acknowledgement of of uh, uh, of return. So, in one hand, we want to challenge the Israeli perceptions towards the responsibility about the Palestinian ethnic cleansing and the responsibility of the Israeli side for the return of the Palestinian refugees. But at the same time, we must say that the, the last word and the last decision and the last uh, um, uh, design that we want to have is the right, is the uh, uh, refugees themselves uh, perception. We can uh, handle workshops for the Israelis and the international activists about the practical return and how do they uh, imagine the return and how do they want it to look like. But the last word should be to the Palestinian refugees themselves because they have the right to return and they have the right to shape their future and their localities in the uh, uh, situation uh, of, of, of return, even if it's still just in their imagination, but this is uh, the, the whole meaning in our uh, point of view, the whole meaning of the right of the Palestinians to return. It's not only to walk back to their place, but also to have the right to shape their place and to decide how it will look like and how it will influence the whole environment over here. Of course, we are not naive to say that it is simple and easy. We are aware that the return will and should influence and affect the demographic situation, the political situation, the, the, the uh, economic situation, and all the fields and all the aspects of life. Uh, this is part. This is part of the of the meaning of return. If we want to plan it from now, we should also plan the other aspects of the uh, uh, of the return uh, uh, effects and influences on the real life. Yeah, well, one thing that uh, each and every one of you uh, touched on, and I want to press all three of you on it. Maybe Lex, I'll start with you is um has to do with the fact that or or, or the statement i should say that <clears throat> for political reasons the refugees have some kind of a distinct uh in the book you call it a distinct a distinctive regime made up of specific norms and institutional arrangements and that uh have excluded them or, or that they are excluded from the rights and standards of treatment afforded to other refugees. This is a very, very strong statement, I think. This mm -hmm. statement says a lot. Um, so Lex, would you, you, why don't you comment and then Francesca and then Omar will go to the same. You know, the same uh, yeah, Francesca is the expert here, but, uh, but let me, uh, let me uh, uh, start by saying that in the first uh, edition, I was still sort of, uh, uh, talking about sort of a partial exclusion from the uh, from the international refugee regime, uh, and in the in the second edition, upon further reflection and realizing and being able to access further historic documents, we 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 refer to it as a as a as a distinctive regime because we we recognize that 
yeah. you know, the uh, the Palestinian refugees are not children of a lesser God. They're as much refugees in the international regime. Uh, uh, they're acknowledged in the 1951 Refugee Convention, in the Statute of UNHCR, in the 1954 Statelessness Convention. Uh, as much as other categories of uh, then already existing refugees were in the aftermath of the Second World War. Uh, and uh, so we emphasize that indeed there are uh, specific institutional arrangements of Francesca is, is, uh, is, is much better place to elaborate. There is UNRWA, there was uh, following the assassination of Count Bernadotte, who you mentioned in your, in your introduction, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, UN General Assembly replaced the mandate of an individual mandate, uh, mediator with that of a commission, the Conciliation Commission for Palestine, chaired by the US, with France and Turkey as other members. Uh, and, uh, and that started to, uh, to uh, uh, work towards uh, uh, a solution, a resolution of the overall conflict, including the refugee issue. Uh, and in order to assist it specifically with the refugee issue, the UNCCP was then instrumental, in particular the Americans, in creating UNRWA as a special agency to, on the one hand, provide, to continue ongoing emergency relief, what we today call humanitarian assistance for the, for the refugees who were still in dire, for many of, for the majority of the refugees who at the time were still in dire conditions. And at the same time, support the UNCCP in, uh, after it tried to effect return uh, in, the early, uh, in the early days of its existence, to work towards alternatives through local integration, through limited forms of resettlement, etc. So we 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 paint this uh, this uh, this uh, yeah you know quite quite unique regime for Palestinian refugees, uh, emphasizing and and uh, elaborating that uh, once again mm. as much refugees as as all other refugees are around the world. Francesca. Francesca, let me, let me push you. I want to push you just a little bit further. If you can touch on what is this specific regime? What are these specific norms that they are, um, that has been placed? And also, what are, the, uh, what are these political reasons? What are the political reasons that the Palestinians are placed in this uh, unique place, in this unique situation? You read my mind. So what I what I was in fact planning to add on what Lex said is let me let me clarify what is the distinctiveness distinct to what from what so today we know that the international um, international refugee regime consists of UNHCR uh, like the global body the universal body mandated to uh, protect. Uh, refugees and the 1951 convention who, which defines refugees as those uh, fleeing uh, being outside their country of uh, nationality or habitual residence uh, and um, for a number of reasons and unwilling or unable to return out of fear of persecutions and the Palestinian refugees clearly do not fall under the, I mean, at, at large, the Palestinian refugees from 1948 and 1967 do not fall 
into this category of being unwilling or unable to return out of fear of persecution because they would be willing to return most probably we don't know as uh, as Umar said we need to ask the refugees first and foremost so these two facts have led to the one of the largest misconceptions in refugee studies that somewhat Palestinians are lesser refugees than others or are no refugees at all and therefore entitled to different or no protection. This is wrong. So the distinctive regime has historical and political reasons. In 1948-49, so when the drafting of the 1951 convention was clearly still on the way, the United Nations had already decided how to deal with the Palestinian refugee crisis and how, uh, as Lex mentioned, after the assassination of the UN mediator, who, by the way, had recommended first and foremost the return of the refugees, uh, this, the, the General Assembly created the UNCCP, the United Nations Conciliation Commission for Palestine. This body had two functions. I mean, many, I mean, it was established under Resolution 1 and 4. And it had to deal with a comprehensive solution of the Palestinian, sorry, of the question of Palestine, including the issue of refugees, together with the demilitarization, the, the, the issue of borders, the issue of uh, holy places and Jerusalem and so on. I mean, it was a very complex situation, including the refugee file. And I can tell you, reading the historical uh, sources tells you that back then, the complex issue was not the refugee, because in everyone's mind, the refugees were, were sort of, apart from Israel, the refugees were to be returned to be allowed to return unless they didn't want to. In that case, they would have to be resettled. So, so this is just to say how the perspective has shifted. However, the UN Conciliation Commission was to find um, a solution to the question of Palestine, including to the refugees. How, paragraph 11 of the 19, of resolution one and four, either the return of the refugees willing to live at peace, so not to engage in armed conflict with the Jewish neighbors, and um, uh, compensation and resettlement for those not willing to return. So it was a scheme for durable solution. It was the first scheme of du for durable solution in modern history. And um, this didn't happen because peace was, uh, I mean, was unattainable in the short term. And therefore, Another body was created, which was, I mean, other bodies, in fact, were created, and the most lasting one of those is UNRWA. UNRWA was created to provide assistance to the refugees um, uh, in need for relief, uh, but also to support the role of the UNCCP towards solutions. While I'm saying all that, just to say that before the 1951 convention, these two bodies had already been created. And bear in mind that back then, in, I mean, 70 years ago, ad hoc responses to refugee situations were not at all exceptional. They were the norm. This is how refugee crisis had been dealt with until that point. And even the 1951 convention was not the universal document that we know today. It became so over time when, because it was conceived for European refugees and Soviet refugees at that time, and UNHCR was to deal with these refugees. And, and let, me, let me give concrete examples. The um, Korean refugees and India-Pakistani refugees together with the Palestinian refugees, meaning all the uh, territorial partitions 
a refugee crisis were outside the scope of um, uh, UNHCR. And there were ad hoc agencies, like in the case of Palestinians and the Korean refugees, or bilateral agreements, like in the case of the Indian Pakistani. So the 1951 convention, which referred implicitly to, to refugees served by other uh, UN agencies to be protected by those agencies until their question is settled, um, is, is a norm that recognizes the status of the legal status of Palestinian refugees as internationally protected refugees, but under other arrangements. And I explained why, because they were already there. No one 70 years ago could expect that the refugee, the Palestinian refugee question will, will not be resolved. And today they are the only situation where there are ad hoc agencies like, like UNRWA and US, UNCCP, which is de facto not functioning. This is the exceptionality on top of the fact that the root causes that led to the displacement and dispossession of the Palestinians in 1947-1949 have not been addressed and have multiplied, sort of magnified in continuing until present to create a dispossession and displacement. So I hope the, 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 the distinctiveness is clear. <laughs> what it means today is that there is ANWA, but there is also UNHCR. There is a clear interpretation nowadays put forward by UNHCR and supported by ANWA of the Article 1D of the Geneva Convention, which that, again does not exclude refugees, is the norm that provisionally allows other agencies to deal with Palestinian refugees, but recognize them as refugees. And what I'm saying is supported by the drafting history of the 1951 convention, which is a legal tool, of, uh, sorry, is a tool for legal interpretation of the treaty. And so um, these bodies, uh, is the, 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 the UNHCR and, UN, uh, and ANWA interpret their mandate as uh, complementary vis-a-vis -vis Palestinian refugees, either rather than antithetical or contradictory. So within UNRWA's areas of operation, UNRWA is responsible. And when Palestinian refugees are outside this area, for objective reasons, they need international protection, they fall under UNHCR uh, um, scope. Is this system satisfactory? Of course not, but this is up for discussion. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. And I think, you know, the, the political issue, I want to push, Omar, I want to push you a little bit more. You talked about the taboo of speaking about the return, and I know that having grown up uh, in Israeli society. Um, and you also, uh, in talking about the envisioning the return, one of the statements that is made on the website is that we envision a return to a democratic state grounded in values of freedom and equality. The future state will not have a sovereign national Jewish character, but will allow the expression of an autonomous collective identity and so on. Um, so this is, a, this is a pretty daring vision. Um, and of course, I think, I think it touches on the political issue, both the, the, on the one hand, the taboo to even discuss it, in Israeli society, and on the other hand, this vision of um, of a return to a, a completely different political reality in Palestine, 
and combining that with the reality in which the refugees exist as a result of political because of political issues so this is a pretty this is a you know many many layers here of complication so can you talk about what are your thoughts about that and how do we get beyond that yeah well um uh, let me just add to what francesca said i can't i can say in my understanding very simply that uh, the international community created the problem of the Palestinian refugees. So I feel that they felt more responsibility or special responsibility in order to uh, resolve their uh, their problem. In 1947, November 1947, the United Nation uh, uh, created the Palestinian Nakba, the Palestinian ethnic cleansing and the Palestinian refuge uh, by the partitioning plan that was approved in the United Nation. And, uh, um, um, and I, I, I feel because of that, a special issue creating a Jewish state in Palestine by the United Nations uh, uh, led to the uh, special responsibility of the international community towards the Palestinian uh, uh, refugees. But um, it's not the, um, the simple meaning that sometimes Israelis or Zionists will uh, argue this, uh, uh, this issue, the Palestinian refugees are not spoiled refugees and the only case in the world that deserve return. The default right and the default solution is to let refugees to go back to their homes. And this is what did not happen to the Palestinians almost totally, 100% were prevented to, to return uh, uh, by the state of Israel. Uh, uh, in other cases in, in, in the history, refugees could go back, except some exceptional uh, cases when the regimes or the governments agreed different decisions, but it was not human decisions. It's not, uh, 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 and in these, in these days, uh, if you look at other refugees communities in the world, the United Nations, the, uh, 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 the, uh, the UNHCR uh, acting in order to uh, uh, return or to help or to support refugees to, to return. I just uh, looked and I, I can add to the, uh, uh, to the examples that Somalian refugees in Kenya uh, um, uh, have in these days, since 19, 2014 till today, they have a very fantastic uh, return program supported by the United Nations and the government of Kenya and uh, 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 when the situation in, in Somalia getting better, so more and more refugees can go back. I see that in, in, since 19, uh, 2014, about 40,000 Somalian refugees returned to their country. And there are 1 million Somalian refugees in Kenya, and they are living there and the, 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 the suffering from the uh, of the refuge for 30 years so the question of the palestinian descendants that always raised raised as a question or as a question mark uh, because they they are not refugees they were not expelled by their by themselves by their body from their homeland uh, it's not the uh, uh, the definition for the palestinian refugees only there are other communities like the Somalia refugees and the Afghanian refugees in Iran living for second and third generation, and they're still considered uh, uh, refugees according to the United Nations. So it's not the only, it's not only the Palestinians who, who. Yeah. The, the other thing 
one one group of Palestinian refugees is forgotten from our discussion and from the international law, which is the internal displaced people, refugees inside the state of Israel. 25% of the Palestinian citizens in Israel are actually internal refugees. They were expelled in 1948 from their original villages and towns. And despite the fact that they became citizens of the state, they were not allowed to go back to their places. That will lead me just to mention one more point that the demographic situation is not the only reason why Israel preventing the, the return of the Palestinian refugees. I believe that it's, it's, it's more racist. It's more, it's, well, it, it fits the colonial and the, the, the ideology of the Zionist movement as a, 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 a colonial movement because the Zionist movement does not acknowledge the the ownership of the Palestinians to their own land or villages. They don't acknowledge that Palestinian people is a people that belong to that place. So they even treat the Palestinian citizens of Israel in this way. If you are uh, uh, living now in Nazareth, for example, for the Israeli government, it's not big deal if you live in Nazareth not in your original village like Safori. We just uh, uh, moved you from one place to other place. You, you, you can live as a citizen, you, you can rent a, a, an apartment and they don't consider the link and the, uh, and the, uh, and, uh, the, the national link of the Palestinian to this place, to this land, which actually makes sense because they believe that this land belongs to the Jewish people and not for others, not for the Palestinians. So uh, uh, I think it's when the demographic issue will raise up, which is, is just one aspect, but I think the reasons is wider and uh, uh, larger than the demographic uh, uh, situation. When we talk about the Israeli taboo, mainly the Israelis will raise the uh, demographic issue uh, 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 obstacle, but we try to expose that it's not only that, uh, that issue. From this uh, uh, um, black uh, uh, situation, uh, we, as I said in the beginning, try to let people or to invite people to imagine what will be, what really uh, uh, could happen uh, to the people and to the land and to the area when the refugees will come back. So uh, um, we, we, we try to, uh, um, by the way, it, it, we, we, there's an, a new, new trend of training the imagination. You can train your imagination uh, uh, in different ways and in different directions in order to uh, create a political uh, uh, program. We use the imagination as a resistance, as a political resistance in order to offer uh, uh, different solutions and uh, just solutions uh, for the issue of the refugees and the return and the people who will live in this landscape uh, based on, on, on justice. So we try to, uh, uh, to learn what are the positive aspects of the return. Uh, first of all, the, the, the Israeli fault that return will 
caused a new Holocaust for the Jewish community here living in Palestine or in, now in Israel is a big fault. Uh, um, uh, um, if, if we try to uh, um, let even the Israelis, but also the Palestinians, to imagine the future in this uh, uh, kind of workshops, not only to be stuck in the uh, in the in the myth of uh, 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 of destruction or new uh, uh, expulsion, uh, we we do say that let's try to imagine the landscape based on the right to return, and uh, 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 let's try to design one specific local place. So we took some uh, villages, Palestinians destroyed the villages inside the state of Israel, and we asked them just to build that and to imagine people coming and living there. In these uh, 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 um, practices, in this uh, mechanism, we didn't hear a lot about destruction and killing people and expelling people. We just felt that people can try uh, uh, imagine future with uh, with different political uh, solutions but out of the box when we going out of the uh, uh, known terminology and known uh, political uh, uh, ideas we can find uh, 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 more just solutions and more uh, uh, feasible solutions, including the right uh, to uh, to return. Uh, even Palestinian refugees themselves managed to build their villages, taking in their uh, a view and their future situation that they will live in a place with Jewish communities in the same landscape. Of course, the, uh, the, the, the Zionism and the Israeli regime will not be in their imagination. They will not be, well, it, it, it couldn't be the political solution with Zionism, but Palestinians could uh, have this uh, uh, split uh, uh, between Zionism and Judaism and Jewish communities or uh, Israeli colon colonizers. So when they had managed to split and to uh, to see the differences between uh, 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 these both identities, they managed to imagine uh, a future, uh, um, shared future or mixed uh, uh, society uh, in, in, in their places. To start the process gradually, we took empty localities, not empty in the Zionist uh, meaning, but empty because uh, there are hundreds of Palestinian villages which are destroyed, but they are located inside Israeli forests and GNF parks and, uh, uh, um, and military bases. Uh, so these examples of empty places, I mean, no, there is no people living in these uh, destroyed Palestinian villages. They are the majority of the Palestinian villages that were expelled in 1948. So if we start to imagine these areas as a new place for return, not only as a place for telling the disaster or telling the history or telling the Nakba, but as optional place for return, we, we, we found that many people opened their minds and they started to fantasize uh, uh, um, uh, 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 for, for, for the future. 
the the obstacles that we see in this uh, uh, in these uh, practices are um, a little bit ironic. The people who feel that this will be utopia, and the people who feel that this will be dystopia, both are actually telling us not to think about the return. So we want to uh, uh, take the right to return from the utopia to the practical aspects, and in the same way to show that it will not be dystopia. Actually, what in Greek says, let's talk about topia. Topia is the place because utopia is saying there is no place. There is, it's, it's not applicable, it's not feasible, it's not possible. We try to uh, uh, go between the utopia and the dystopia to the topia and to show and to search that it is, uh, uh, it is possible and, and, and applicable. Thank you for that. Yeah. So um, you talked about the Omar. You talked about the the different reasons why uh, Israelis don't like the idea or, or refuse to even discuss the idea of return. And in the book, um, Lex and Francesca, you bring up something that I um, again another another uh, aspect of this issue that is central and I think not a lot is known about it and that is the wealth that the Palestinians left behind. Uh, the Zionists of course claim that they made the desert bloom and the Palestinians say as they say in Arabic they they took it all furnished. <laughs> and uh, what your book shows that not only it was furnished but it was furnished lavishly furnished. Um, and I believe the quote, um, the way you presented in the book, is that the wealth Palestinians left behind was strategic to the emergence, to the emerging uh, state of Israel. And then you talk about how the Palestinians left behind huge tracts of farmland, tools, livestock, shops, factories, houses of worship, private homes, financial assets, and personal belongings. Produce from fields and orchards was also left behind. Uh, with large citrus fruit stores waiting to be exported for hard currency. So I think it's not outrageous to assume that one of the fears that the Zionist institutions and, and the state of Israel among them have is that somebody's going to come and say, excuse me, you've taken all this wealth, it's time to pay back. So can you talk, perhaps Lex, you can talk a little bit more about that wealth and, and what does international law say in terms of how, how is this resolved? Well, yes, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a key point. And I think it also goes uh, to the heart as to why the right of return and issues of compensation and restitution are such a, such a taboo. Uh, you know, whatever good race reasons there may have been for the founding fathers, or, you know, to create a state of Israel, the reality is, is that it went at the expense of another people. Uh, and that historical justice needs to be made good. In the book, we show that, you know, the right of return and compensation and restitution doesn't flow from this resolution 194. And there has to be a lot of, has been a lot of debate, whether that's a, a binding resolution, etc. But it's very simple. Uh, it goes back to the law of wars that was already developed at least 50 years earlier 
to an extent that uh, in the aftermath of the Second World War, when the uh, charter of the uh, Nuremberg and Tokyo tribunals was written and when the judges applied the charter, uh, mass expulsion in time of war was declared, was, was considered a, a war crime under the existing international humanitarian law you know, prevailing at the time. And it was only a few years later that Resolution 194 was carefully elaborated in the fall of, uh, of 1948. Uh, and the lawyers who were sort of working on it didn't see the need to, you know, create a right of return because it was already there. You know, so that's that's the first thing. And I think that goes to the back of the of the mind of Israel, every Israeli, you know, they they they, 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 they know it's not theirs. They know it needs to be made good. Uh, uh, and that's, I think, why it's uh, such a deep taboo and so difficult to discuss it. Now, in the, uh, in the, at the time of the first uh, edition of the book, you know, there was Oslo, there was still sort of, we were sort of still naively optimistic that there might be an opportunity for a two-state solution for the establishment of a Palestinian state and I, I saw that practically that would imply that the right of return would turn into a right to live in the Palestinian state to be. Uh, now since Oslo we have seen that that you know the, the, the two-state solution is, uh, is, uh, is uh, becoming less and less likely. It's currently sort of on life support still you know refer to you know, out of politeness from time to time, but everybody knows that it is no longer within reach, and we're currently facing a one-state reality. So, in that, in that, in that, uh, in that, uh, uh, you know, in that, in that current reality, uh, the right of return, which, as I as I indicated, stems from you know the historic injustice and the, the violation of international humanitarian law as it stood at a time, uh, has. Uh, has uh, uh, turned into into uh, claims to you know to live in uh, uh, the totality of historic Palestine, uh, and if a two-state solution is no longer possible, uh, as is uh, as is the case, you know it it it, uh, it indeed in line with the program of Sochrot, you know it becomes a. a, a a right to live in, an Israel, in, in a democratic Israel-Palestine, as long as that not exists, you know the uh, the uh, the struggle for 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 the right of return becomes the struggle for equal rights and for one man one vote. Ultimately, that's 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 how I see, and I believe that the main drivers of return are those who, you know, make the uh, the uh, who, who 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 further undermine the possibility of a two-state solution. These are the <laughs> the the ironically the you know those who who work towards you know realization of of uh, of uh, of a one state ultimately democratic reality you know structural injustice won't work coming back to the assets that you uh, that you spoke about uh, yes I believe that uh, very similar to uh, uh, assets that Jews left behind in Germany and other parts of Europe. Uh, for which there was a decades-long struggle for compensation and restitution, uh, something similar is, uh, is likely to happen, should happen, can happen, with respect to Palestinian properties that were left behind 
and one of the uh, unknown uh, facts of the work of the United Nations Conciliation Commission is that after the Conciliation Commission, you know, realized they could not, you know, it was not likely to make progress to the return of the refugees, it meticulously documented every piece of property, uh, real estate, uh, other, other properties, up to olive individual olive trees. They're meticulously documented over a 15-year period by a large staff of the United Nations Conciliation Commission for Palestine. Uh, and these documents are all available when the Conciliation Commission became dormant, they ended up in the uh, in the basement of the UN Secretariat. Uh, in the uh, 70s, they were sort of put on microfilms at the time, the medium of choice. Uh, and towards, uh, towards uh, Oslo, they were sort of digitized uh, and copies were given to Israel, to the Palestinians, to Jordan, Syria and Lebanon. Now, you could not really do anything with it because it's just millions of documents that are, that are uh, stored on, on electronic media. But you can turn it into a database as, as is, is, is sort of discrete work on that is, is, is progressing. You can turn it into a database and ultimately link that to the uh, refugee records that UNRWA has preserved over the same period. Uh, I mean, UNRWA has preserved them up till, up till now. And so you can build a resource that uh, the Palestinians can use at the appropriate political time to pursue those historic claims. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that this will happen and it, that this, uh, that, that this uh, will ultimately yield, uh, yield success. You know? And we believe that this is a, uh, a key element of the sort of the... Uh, sort of new approach to sort of solution or to, to pursue the, the Palestinian refugee issue anew uh, that we propose in the final chapter of our book. Jessica, I wanted to bring something up with you. So we have these two narratives, obviously the opposing narratives. We've got the Zionist narrative of a desert that they, they made bloom and the Palestinian narrative, which says, you know, they took this country uh, furnished, or like I said, lavish, as you described, lavishly furnished. And then when we look at, for example, um, what Volker Benadot said, and I think this is also in the spirit of, of Resolution 194, that the right of return uh, should be affirmed and made effective, and with the assurance of adequate compensation for property for those who choose not to return. But I didn't see anything. Is there anywhere written about the compensation for the people who do choose to return, but their property was taken, the property is, has been stolen? Yeah, so let me uh, give a bit of background because, so first of all, I would like to um, um, make a comment so that on the passage of the book, Miko, that you read at the beginning. What you quoted is something that um, is fully documented in, um, in the UN archives, the UNCCP archives, as um, Lex mentioned, but also those archives, I mean, the study on the compensation that Palestinian for lost, uh, Palis uh, sorry, Palestinian property lost uh, or left behind that UNCCP carried out is complemented by very important surveys that were um, 
also produced um, around those years by other experts that had worked either within the UNCCP and had complemented that because at a certain point it was an issue with movable or removable property. So the UNCCP only focused, mainly focused on the immovable property. But we have, we have tried to actualize the, um, all these estimates that were made by UNCCP and others, and have also been enriched by studies that were made possible, uh, were produced by experts in the um, context of the Oslo process. And the figures are quite significant, but it's again, the point is, is not that this is unfeasible because it, it shouldn't be because Israel doesn't want refuses, refuses to, to contribute. The point is that if something is illegal, should be stopped, should cease. And if something, um, uh, if something uh, has been uh, wrongfully done, should be corrected. So I would like to, to take one, um, one second, because it would be a, lot, a missed opportunity if we don't clarify that before going to the question of, uh, of compensation, what is the legal foundation of the right to return? And why we insist um, that we should, <laughs> I mean, we, we always make, uh, make um, a sort of precautionary um, uh, disclosure to any Palestinians in the room when we talk about the right of return, because we say the resolution 194 did not create the right of return. So we don't want fierce reactions. The point is that it was not the job of the drafters of the uh, resolution 194 to create rights. That right already exists, and this is why uh, Folke Bernadotte referred to the right of return. Um, I mean, Zionist pundits are right when they say the right of return didn't exist. Didn't exist per se, called, but it, a right called the right to return per se. It doesn't exist today. Uh, uh, it's called, it's an extension, a corollary of the freedom of movement. But in the case of the Palestinian, it was something else. And it, it's the, uh, it's the, it comes from a combination of provision. So we argue that the legal basis of the right of return um, that guided the, the drafters of resolution 194 was, um, uh, was uh, uh, stems from uh, the prohibition of forced displacement and mass expulsion that constituted already war crimes and crimes against humanity, uh, according as Lex said um, to the Hague, Hague resolutions and as um, established in the uh, uh, tribunal at, at Nuremberg and Tokyo years before 1948. So this has, had already been established and all the more uh, forced displacement and expulsion and mass expulsions were already criminalized in the charter of the military tribunals. And the Hague regulations were found to be constitutive of customary law by the by the, um, the, 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 the the drafters of the statutes of uh, sorry the the charter of the military tribunals and um, victor catan um, in his book uh, from coexistence to conquest makes a very important point um, it produces all historical evidence then in the um, zionist leadership and the 
that that before 1948 and between 1948 and 49 so even the israeli provisional government was aware that there was a criminal liability attached to the conduct of uh, the military operations that were on, still ongoing in, in uh, historical Palestine, and there was fear out of it. So this should be kept in mind and should be the core of any legal advocacy on the right to return, because I still see books being written denying the legality of the rights. No, 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 it's a right. It's a legal right. And as a lawyer, this is what I'm, my job is. I, I cannot necessarily talk about the feasibility of the right, but the legal basis, it, it's this one. And let's go, go to the compensation. Um, the responsibility to um, correct uh, um, internationally wrongful act in the forms of restitution is also a principle that was established far before the 1948 events. In 1927, there was a, um, the, 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 sorry, the, uh, the Permanent Court of uh, International Justice who established that uh, to, through the famous Chorsford case that Every time there is an internationally wrongful act, there should be um, a form of reparation in the, as a restitution wherever possible, otherwise compensation. The drafters of Resolution 194 knew farewell that, that compensation was, was to be awarded to everyone. But because back then, and this is all documented historically, there was a dispute ongoing on how to determine what had been lost uh, in the context of the military operations and the conflict between Arab states and Israel, it was determined for convenience that compensation would be only awarded to those choosing not to return. But under principle of law and equity, everyone was a, was an, a back then was entitled to, um, to receive compensation. And this is what we argue in a book. And of course, what we are saying has only become stronger over time within, uh, with the entry into force of the Geneva Convention, um, regulating the law of, of war, with the entry into force of the human rights system, and so forth and so forth. What's appalling is that political um, constraints that pro prevented the realization of Palestinian rights 70 years ago are still here. And this is what we should also talk about. Yes, um, before I go to you, I, I, I want to share an anecdote. You know, the thing is, there, there is this perception that return could only be possible as a result of Israeli consent and that we could never have a return, we could never have a democratic uh, Palestine, free Palestine, because Israelis will never agree, and that Israeli consent is somehow uh, central to solving uh, the question of Palestine, which of course I think is absurd. But um, I've been uh, kind of going back and forth on, on Twitter with um, um, a, a, an Israeli war criminal who's also a member of the Knesset, his name is Matan Kahana, and he was uh, he was a war he's a war criminal of, of unbelievable proportions. He participated in every murderous uh, unit, from being an airline pilot, uh, air force pilot, to being a, a member of a, of a murder squad. Uh, anyway, and now he is this you know member of Knesset from the right wing party. Uh, Recently, he said after bombing in Lebanon, he went home and played music. Yes. 
uh, horrible. And but he has this, you know, he he looks like this very innocent, very pleasant man. He speaks very rationally. And I came across, I came upon a video that he posted of himself speaking in an Israeli high school, explaining that the ha he does not live in a, in the West Bank. He lives in 1948 Palestine where he's explaining that the house that he lives in was not was built by Palestinians. The well in the yard was dug by Palestinians and the fruit trees in the yard where he lives were planted by Palestinians. And therefore Israel must never, can never allow itself to drop the gun. Israel must always be well armed and prepared to fight because even a two state solution is not going to solve that problem. And so this is the rationale. In other words, he is saying, I am a criminal. I am a thief. I'm sitting on somebody else's land. It is perfectly okay. We just need to make sure that we're strong enough so these people don't come back and claim and try to claim what is actually, and in his mind, because I've been kind of, I've been, I've been challenging him on this. I think, well, you're admitting that you're a thief and we know that you're also a murderer. Why are you not in jail? You know, what kind of absurd reality is this? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we talk about the, we're, we're talking about something that we, when we compare to his comments and the reality in which Israelis, and I think his comments represent Israelis, you know, by and large, Israeli society, the way Israeli society views this, this the, the fact that they're sitting on somebody else's land and they're just sticking somebody else's homes and so forth. Because 2000 years ago, you know, we're the descendants of this ancient tribe that maybe lived there 2,000 years ago, and they this connection makes perfect sense to them. And uh, what I wanted to ask you, Omar, is this, um, in light of this, and, you know, the tours, you know, a couple that I've been with you on uh, going through destroyed villages where you see that there was wealth. You see, and even with the destruction, you see, you can tell just how wealthy and how, how beautiful it was and what was destroyed and what was stolen. Um, how do we make that, how do we bridge that to a place where people can sit and not think you're crazy when you ask them to envision a return and envision a demo, a, a, the democratic reality of the democratic state in which this return will be possible? How do you bridge that? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm not expecting um, uh, that the, the, the whole Israeli society will switch very fast and I'm not talking about the Israelis, I'm talking about the Palestinians. In other words, how do you sit with Palestinians and say, well, let's envision this return? That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I got that. But I just wanted to add um, more, one more aspect, one more layer of complicity that uh, when you ask the, the uh, former uh, question about looting the property of the Palestinians, uh, it, it was not only the, the Zionist institutions or the army or the government. It was also simple people, simple individuals, individuals who took part in, in, in looting and uh, uh, um, entering the Palestinian houses and taking their, their, their property. Even in one case that seems to be a very simple case, the expulsion of the village in the, nor in the north of Israel today, very close to the border with Lebanon, called Ikrit, that was expelled politely in the end of 1948, asking the people to move to another uh, Palestinian village or, or even to Lebanon if they wish, but they refused. They moved to another Palestinian village uh, for two weeks. And the army promised them to come back after they fixed the border with Lebanon. 
And this promise was 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 not uh, implemented till today. The two weeks taking 72 years. But what is interesting that in the 50s, uh, uh, the Israeli uh, colonials in the land on the land of Ekrif, in the uh, settlements of Shomera and uh, uh, other. A, a Jewish uh, Mushavs and kibbutzes in the area sent a letter to David Ben-Gurion telling him that we heard about the option of returning the people of Eklith. And if you do so, we will leave. If you do so, uh, we will lose the land that we now cultivate, when we now uh, use, and we, we, we will lose the, the water spring of Eklith that we use and we need that, need that very much. So the obstacle is very hard. Now I'm coming to your question. So the Palestinians, when they uh, think about their, uh, uh, um, what they face uh, on the reality, it's, it's the whole entity of the uh, colonial Zionist uh, uh, in, in general, not only the government and the army, unfortunately. In, 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 in one hand, it's, it, it seems more complicated. In other hand, it means that uh, um, except the military action, we don't have, we don't suggest that we don't have any uh, forces or any military actions can change the, the situation. We do kind of political education. So when we meet the uh, society, we can use different tools gradual and uh, gradual processes in order to crack uh, the Israeli perceptions and uh, uh, show the crimes and the injustice that happened in 1948 and how do the simple Israeli person get benefit from this, uh, 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 from this situation. Uh, the, uh, the Palestinian side, what we started to do with small groups of internal displaced youth inside 1948, asking them to uh, uh, to design or to imagine their uh, new villages. I think this is kind of, uh, of a program that will uh, change uh, uh, the, the political attitude to the place and to the, uh, uh, to the area. As I said, they uh, when they do this practice, they look at their village as a place for return, not only a place of disaster or sorrow. They're going back to this place in order to say, I'm be I belong to this place and I want to, go to come back to this place, not only to say I was expelled from this place. I think this is very important. It seems very simple, but this is very important in changing the attitude to the landscape and to the area. I, I believe that the Palestinians in, in our small uh, circles, we try to do that, but Palestinians in general and the Palestinian leadership and the, and the PLO should have uh, a program, political program, how they see the return on the future and what is the, mini, the meaning of the practical return on the ground and to let the international community open this file again and again and to put that on the table of the United uh, uh, Nations uh, uh, circles in, in order to show that return of Palestinians uh, um, will not cause a new expulsion or a new disaster for even for the colonizers. We can give uh, some options. 
uh, and some uh, solutions, how could uh, um, the case of Palestine be resolved? A little bit like, for example, the, the situation in South Africa. It could be uh, uh, um, a program that will convince the international community that the return not only justice, but also uh, applicable and needed and must be uh, uh, done on the on the ground. From our experience, we 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 learned to uh, explain the return in positive ways. What even the Israelis could get from the return? For example, many of them will will be released of being colonizers and occupiers. They don't want to live all the time as this. Maybe they want to live as equal citizens and equal people and normal people. Some of them will catch this point and think positively that return could create a normal situation or, or, or for citizens or for, uh, for, for civilians. The other point that we learned that uh, um, we can use uh, the, the term of returns in plural, not only return, because as I said in the beginning, there are different conditions in different locations in Palestine inside the green line 1948. So we can offer that the return and the solution uh, will be different from place to other. It's not the only one way of return or one way of solution. There are many options and these options gives us the freedom to think in different way about the future. Okay, well, I think um, it's time to open up for Q&A, unless there's anything uh, one of you wants to add right, right now. We have quite a few questions, and we're already, as I, as I thought we would, we're, um, we, we're, we're past the time that uh, was allocated originally. So, Jamil, would you pick a couple of uh, questions, and um, maybe two or three we have time for, and let's see how it goes. Sure thing. So this first question is from Leila. Um, I would just like to recommend Hassan Kanafani's story, Return to Haifa, as a wonderful companion to this important topic. It really demonstrates the emotional and confrontational quality of return from one part of Palestine to another. Can anyone on the panel comment on this great work? Uh, let's 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 move. Let's move on to something about the return itself. This is a literary question. It's a good question. It's a great book. It's a great story, but yeah, let's... Uh... Okay, this one is from Ian. Uh, my mother's family left Haifa in 1948 after the Nakba. They owned a plot of land in Haifa. Will this be documented in the UNCCP archives? And can I access this online? I can very quickly respond on that. I'm sure the plot of land is... Uh is included in the uh, in the UNCCP uh, uh, archive because at the time refugees both internally displaced who stayed behind as well as those who uh, who fled to the neighboring countries and territories were invited to submit information and uh, and uh, so I'm convinced it's there uh, at the moment uh, 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 it's not uh, accessible uh, as the I, I mentioned it has been digitized in the uh, many years ago, but uh, digitized only for pres preservation purposes, not digitized to turn it into a database that people can access 
And that work has started about a decade ago and still needs another five years or so before it's complete. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quietly conducted by the Institute for Palestine Studies. Uh, and, uh, and ultimately, I believe that this work can be combined with the work that UNRWA is doing to, uh, to further uh, modernize its electronic archives of the Palestinian refugees that were registered for services with the agency. Uh, and UNRWA intends to turn that into an online portal where any Palestinian refugee around the world uh, will be able to provide their credentials. You know, you don't automatically get access. You first have to establish that you're a descendant of a, of a Palestinian refugee and, and provide your, your current whereabouts, etc. But ultimately, these, uh, these resources will become accessible and combined, combined they constitute uh, an incredibly rich resource that will be available uh, for, the, for the pursuit of, uh, of restitution and, and compensation claims. I want to jump in here just a sec, uh, Francesca, and ask you, there's a question here. Um, despite all the denials and taboos, what legal step could be taken by Palestinian refugee community at large um, in order to demand enforcement of, of the resolutions and, and international law? In, in, in regard to their rights. Is there something the Palestinians can do in mass as a community? Well, <clears throat> I think that for a long time, there's been this belief, uh, especially in Arab states, encouraged by Arab rulers, that living um, in a sort of subhuman condition, so without rights, I mean, I'm referring to the millions of um, Palestinian refugees in the in the Arab world, especially those in UNRWA's areas of operation, would have led them to the right of return. So, uh, enduring the politics of suffering, as uh, American anthropologist uh, Neil Gabiam uh, defines it, was a way to get the right of return. For me, it's the opposite. Uh, in the book, we analyze, as we say, the situation of Palestinian refugees around the world at large, where they are. And we have noticed that although, I mean, it's very difficult to, to map, I mean, to, to, to nail down and to find a common denominator which explains the situation of, of all of them, because the fragmentation is not only physical, is also legal. There are so many uh, legal regimes that end up applying to them without the insurance of a full application of international law. And many of them are deprived of all rights. Many of them live in a sort of limbo, as stateless, and 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 have been as such for generations. So for me, the the, uh, the a step closer uh, to to ensure not only the right of return, justice for the Palestinian people as a whole, and and justice for those Israelis who be, uh, believe in 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 this concept of of peace, a peace that is enjoyed by all, is to acquire rights, is to acquire rights and be empowered. Because the Palestinians have for a long time uh, been in a position, I mean, I say, uh, have been spoken of and spoken about without them really participating the, in the debate and shaping the, the narrative that they wanted, as they wanted. Omar was saying that in the beginning, he was saying, Eventually, the right of return is also a right, you didn't say that precisely, but it's a right to choose, the right to decide how to get to a dignified life. 
And until that gap is filled, I see it very difficult for the return and justice to happen. Because for Israel, it's very convenient. The status quo is very convenient. Um, they have, I would like to point to something in, in Nico said, is there a way uh, to, I mean, is there, Israel is, 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 is as, a, as any state, as any sovereign state, has the right to decide who enters and who doesn't enter um, its own territory, has the right to determine who is a state, uh, sorry, who is a citizen of the state and who is not. But again, because of the internationally wrongful act that Israel has committed, at a certain point, Israel should pay. And there, should, there are measures to ensure that. There should be a response from the international community. But for it to happen, I do believe that the Palestinians need to, need to get and uh, mass um, become agent of their own future and so advocate for their rights first and foremost and then to create that critical mass that shape political political decisions. Omar, I want to talk to you kind of with a, maybe a slightly different version of the same question. So in terms of that, is there an agency? Could there, could we envision, create an agency that does that? Because like Francesco was saying, it's true, the fragmentation and the different legal systems under which Palestinian refugees live are countless. So do you have an, how do we overcome, is there a way to overcome that? How do we overcome that so that there is some kind of a representation that can make the demands in their name? Obviously, without that, nothing can move forward. Well, in theory, yeah, it seems um, it makes sense, but uh, unfortunately, I, um, it's it's very risky. Um, we what all know the, that the. Well, I'm sorry. What is risky? Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm approaching the point. The uh, uh, how we can what we can do according to the international law. Approaching international. Uh, um, um, uh, organizations or uh, uh, courts uh, might be risky um, because most of the Palestinians don't trust the international law uh, institutions. And uh, if they do that, or someone will do that on their name and uh, the, um, it will be discussed if they have rights on what kind or what kind of rights. Uh, we know the dynamic and the power relation in, in, in the international uh, in circles and um, unfortunately how, how the United Nations decided to uh, divide Palestine, they could decide also to divide the rights. They could be in, 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 in conditions of uh, uh, pressure to decide the Palestinian refugees and by the way, some of the Israelis uh, formal uh, uh, arms and uh, in the United States uh, um, uh, foreign ministry doing some efforts in the last decade in order to 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 prove that the Palestinian refugees only the people who were expelled physically from Palestine in 1948 so they can return but others they can get compensation or, or something else. So um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that this uh, formal action 
will resolve the problem or will achieve the rights to the uh, uh, Palestinian refugees. By the way, even inside Israel, I mentioned the in IDPs, one community of IDPs inside Israel approached Israeli court in order to get back our confiscated lands. They saying that the government uh, wanted or confiscated under the excuse to use that for uh, uh, public uh, uh, purposes and they did not do so for 50 years or 60 years. So we want this land back. And the Israeli court rejected the, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, their, their case and it became a kind of legal base for other cases. So it, I think it's still um, in these political conditions, still uh, um, uh, not, um, I don't know, not sure that this is the way that we should be done. It, it must be done in the political uh, uh, level first, and then the, unfortunately, the, the law or the, the rights will be implemented. Well, as I look, we, we need to wrap up, but I'll just say, as I look, I'm looking at the screen, I see the, you know, the four of us and Jamil. Um, I think, I think the book has, um, needs to be, needs to be mandatory for people who deal with Palestine to read. I, I think it, it, it presents a picture that even people who are, you know, well-versed on the, on the issue of Palestine, uh, need to learn about it because there's a lot of ignorance on this issue because it's so legally, you know, Complicated, actually, uh, much more than, than than I thought. But on the other hand, it also presents the possibilities uh, because the case is so strong, because the rights are so clear. And Omar, the vision that uh, you and Zuhrat present, I think, are, are crucial a crucial element. Uh, what seems to me, and I think Omar, you alluded to this right now, is that without the kind of political work, uh, we're, we're not going to be able to see um, any progress. And so I wear this badge, and I think this is the kind of political work that is required, which is boycott, divestment, and sanctions (BDS), uh, because the right of return, of course, one of the demands um, of the of the of the Palestinian call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions. So I think that's crucial, and I think that's this is exactly the combination: understanding the past, understanding the law, working with a clear vision uh, to 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 to, like you say create the now, not the utopia or the dystopia, but the now, and then work realistically uh, towards uh, political pressure to bring this about. Uh, we do need to finish. So uh, I want to remind everybody, the book is called um, Palestinian Refugees in International Law, right? Yes. And, 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 Let me show the cover. Uh, oh, show the cover. Absolutely. Yes. It's a lovely cover. Palestinian Refugees in International Law. And so look it up, it's available. Um, and uh, it's, it's an incredibly important, I think, uh, study. Um, and, and our then, Facebook page, uh, Pril 2020. P-R-I-L 2020. I'm sorry? That's our Facebook page of the book. Oh, okay. P-R-I-L 2020. Okay, so you can check that out. And then we're going to put, maybe already did put the link to the Zuhrot. Zuhrot just launched their fundraiser. Um, and so uh, the link should be in the chat. I really recommend everybody uh, do what they can to share or help. Zuhrot does incredible work uh, in Palestine. 
Um, and with that, I will thank all the four of you for your very, very valuable time and your incredible knowledge and the uh, people who participated, the audience, Jamil, behind the scenes, thank you so much. Um, and Jamil, is there anything else to add before we close? Uh, well, maybe Jamil has gone. I think we're, I think we're all good. Okay. This will be on, on, uh, in a few days. So if you want to look at it again, share it, uh, feel free to do so. Thank you all very, very much, everybody. Good day and good night. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.